Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. But before we get this show on the road, I want to say a quick thank you to GPS Radar for making this episode possible. GPS Radar is the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Hey, Fashion Your Seatbelt listeners. I am super excited to dive into this week's podcast interview with Stephanie Fair, the Chief Strategy Officer at the luxury online marketplace Farfetch. But before we do that, I just want to say a quick thank you to all of you amazing listeners who have been so supportive of the Fashion Your Seatbelt podcast. I really do appreciate all the great feedback we've been getting and the super smart suggestions of people that you would like to hear me interview next. Please keep those ideas coming and just post them on the comments section on iTunes and I will add them to my list, I promise. Also, if you haven't had a chance to listen to my last interview with Adam Pritzker, the chairman and CEO of Assembled Brands, I highly suggest you go back and listen to his big ideas for fashion once you are done with this podcast. Now let's talk about Stephanie Fair. She has been in the news lately because she was just appointed as the new chair of the British Fashion Council, succeeding Net-a-Porter founder Natalie Massenet, who stepped down in December 2017 after five years in the role. Stephanie will basically be overseeing core events that the BFC puts on, most notably London Fashion Week and the Fashion Awards. Now let's talk about Stephanie Fair. She has been in the news a lot lately because she was just appointed as the new chair of the British Fashion Council. She's succeeding Net-a-Porter founder Natalie Massenet, who stepped down in December 2017 after five years in the role. Stephanie will basically be overseeing core events that the BFC puts on, most notably London Fashion Week and the Fashion Awards, while at the same time still doing her day job as the CSO at Farfetch. The chairmanship of the BFC is a seriously big side hustle, but I have no doubt that Stephanie is up to the task, basically because when we spoke at the Fashion Tech Forum in Los Angeles, she was so fired up about all the new projects she was working on for Farfetch and jazzed about the future of online and offline shopping in the luxury sector. I mean, just to give you some perspective, Farfetch'd has raised over 700 million in funds and has partnered with JD.com in China and Shalub in the Middle East, two major deals that are part of a global expansion ahead of an expected initial public offering later this year that could value the company at greater than $5 billion, according to some reports. Stephanie is in the fashion pole position right now, and she is clearly going full throttle into the future. Stephanie, thank you so much for speaking with me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what you wanted to talk about here at Fashion Tech Forum? What was the what was the message you wanted to get across about what Farfetched is up to now? So I think at Fashion Tech Forum, it, it really, as the name suggests, it's sort of the the hybrid merging between the fashion industry and technology, which uh, typically have not made good bedfellows in the past. There's been a, you know a huge amount of, uh, of sort of reticence from the luxury industry to embrace technology, and then um, tech businesses have possibly not understood brand and um, the the sort of needs of the consumers in that space. But I think um, for us, um, getting across the fact that we really are a new type of company, um, you know, I like to say that we're the largest uh, technology company operating 
at scale in the in the luxury space. Um, and so getting that across that Farfetch maybe to the consumer is a marketplace, which in and of itself, you know, is probably not, uh, you know, doesn't feel like so technology technologically innovative. So get across that Farfetch um, maybe to the consumer and to the outside view is a marketplace, mm -hmm. but it's a marketplace that is very different to perhaps how people have typically seen marketplaces. It really is about bringing product online that uh, wasn't online before from small boutiques all around the world and what that logistics that um, that is required to do that. Mm -hmm. But that aside from the marketplace, it's also a white label solution for brands. It's also a store of the future concept that allows brands to really leverage their retail um, environment. It's also about innovating um, along and co-creating with brands to help them um, sort of engage in digital and eventually for us to empower them in this new sort of world of, of digital. So I think it, in many ways Farfetch is a perfect company for uh, for the fashion tech forum. It really lies at the crossroads of both. Of both. Oh, what I thought was really interesting is that, you know, you guys came along at a time when there was the really get, you know, maybe saved a number of brands during the crisis in yeah. 2008 because... Particularly boutiques boutique back then. Boutiques that were, yeah, that were going to, would have closed up shop. I happen to know a guy, uh, Lobato in, in Paris, he said, without Farfetched, I would not have been around anymore because of that. How, I imagine that must be a very um, gratifying aspect of what you do, that you're able to support so many smaller brands and keep them in business to a certain extent. Absolutely, and it's part of... Uh uh, Farfetch's DNA to, to empower these uh, these small boutiques and to have given them a lifeline but now it's much more than a lifeline now it's actually really giving them a potential they never thought they could have I mean there's a small boutique in Cambridge called Julio who was one of Farfetch's first partners and their business has grown so much that they're even looking into warehouses and they're selling and able to do what they do best which is curate the best of the brands and designers out there um, but to a global audience so they can now, from Cambridge, sell to Tokyo, to Sao Paulo, to Cape Town. Um, there's something so wonderfully modern uh, about that that sort of global um, perspective that uh, that I, I I really embraced and and loved when I joined. Well, let's talk about that because um, there's a lot of talk about how that. The department stores are really struggling. Multi-brand uh, shops are really struggling. Um, you're supporting these, you know, smaller shops, and then you're also with this the future, the store of the future, trying to come up with ways to kind of keep department stores or multi-brand stores alive. Can you talk a little bit about the thinking behind the store of the future? So really at the at the core is the fact that actually um, it, it, it's two parts. One, the founder has always felt that um, as a boutique owner himself, there is something about the offline experience that cannot be replicated. I mean, there was a time when everyone talked about the fact that the store would be dead and it was all going online and pure play e-commerce. But the reality is that millennials want to shop offline and online um, and both. And so that offline environment is so important, but it's got to be done uh, right. So at the core, it was um, that beautiful product should live in a beautiful store and not in a warehouse. Um, 
and the fact that also behaviorally that's how millennials shop so if you put those two together how can the brands really and boutiques and department stores respond to that and it's by knowing the customer and really becoming customer centric and leveraging technology um, in order to do that and again sort of the future is not tech for tech's sake it's not a bunch of gimmicks that people go through in the store it's genuinely how do we put the customer center and offer him or her better service um, a more useful service more enjoyable service where the fashion advisor is not typing out you know looking for stock in the back but is spending time actually telling the story of the brand or the history of that department store mm-hmm. so that's the vision behind it um, and we've had a lot of inbound from brands big big brands who want us to work with them and co-create with them on uh, on on uh, our, our vision mm-hmm. I know that you're working with Tom Brown is that correct Yep, so we announced that um, in, in our beta, we announced that we would uh, work with two um, two um, parties initially, our own, Browns, mm-hmm. um, and Tom Brown. Um, and we're currently working with both Browns. Uh, East, which will be our sort of lab for Store of the Future, is launching shortly mm-hmm. in, a, in a few weeks in wow. the East End of London. Um, and then Tom Brown um, also in a, in a couple of months. That's fantastic. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about um, data? Because that's one of the things that um, I get a lot of luxury brands are interested in, but they they're scared by it and that they don't know how to interpret it. Can we? What is this fear surrounding data and, uh, that you see? What what is the uncomfortable reaction to data? And, in fashion would you say it's just never been used that much and mostly because it's never been collected um, you know if most of us have had the experience where the only time that you hand over your email is if you've made a purchase and someone gives you a little card and you have to write it out and then you may or may not receive an email that may or not be useful to you um, you know I still receive uh, I, I bought something from a, a beautiful store in uh, Saint-Tropez because obviously I was on holiday there but I still get emails um, about that store in Saint-Tropez mm-hmm. well I'm not there I don't live there I don't know when I'm going to go back um, but in this day and age you would expect a very different approach mm-hmm. and so that's where data is so important and where brands have just um, not understood necessarily how to collect it but what to do with it and as part of our partnership with brands and boutiques we help to sort of help them harness that and, and help them. So we collect about 15 million data points uh, a, a day um, and we can aggregate that, anonymize it and help um, brands and boutiques, everything from sort of how to buy better, to mm-hmm. sell better to a global audience, um, to you know what particular items down to a skew level are, are selling well, um, tr- general trends and what we're seeing is selling in different countries. So there's a whole business to be had there mm. and we're looking at it closely. Okay, interesting. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge that Farfetch is facing at this point in the game? Um, so I think it's it's um, you know the size of our ambition. It's there and it's there for the taking. And I, you know, I, I'm there. I've been there for a year, and I continue to be blown away by by the mission and the vision and the size of the ambition. But it's also um, you know how quickly can we go? It's a fast, fast moving. Um, 
pace because we are at the crossroads of technology and, and luxury. So we're moving the one hand at the pace of luxury brands, but on the other with technology that is moving at speed and a customer that is moving even faster. And how do those three tri triangulate? Yeah, there's three different speeds. Three different speeds. And how do we choose to do the right things and uh, prioritize? I mean, it's it's a constant, uh, constant battle as to how much we can do. And we're not short of ideas. Okay, what is making the hair stand up on the back of your neck? What is really exciting you at this point? I mean, you know all of the great tech that's out there. You know all of all. You were definitely got a, the you know a roadmap and looking five, ten years down the road. Yeah. What are you really excited about? So I think it's the platform play for Farfetch. Mm -hmm. So I think um, you know it's absolutely a, a, a back-end architectural concept, but it's the fact that Farfetch is built um, on an API that allows us to really build um, and develop technology for ourselves, but actually allow third parties and other businesses to build for us as well, um, and to leverage what Farfetch can offer, which is a huge supply or a huge demand of customers, but also will allow us to be ultimately more innovative and more nimble, and allows us to future-proof ourselves in a way, because we can't possibly build it all ourselves, and we can't possibly predict everything mm -hmm. and so if we are able to be open enough that we can allow that great new technology to essentially innovate for us that is super exciting and that's how some of the biggest tech companies in the world operate whether it's Facebook or Google or Dropbox or Slack they are platforms um, and that's why they have so much adoption because there's a you know there's a there's a technology that appeals to all, all to consumers, um, whether it's the core business or something else, some other plugin, and um, that opportunity for Farfetch has never been done in in, in fashion. That sort of platform play in the fashion space, and that to me is very exciting. Can do you have any examples of something that you've that's come out of that that you've seen that you can tell me about? Yeah. So, for example, um, we identified um, the the founder and and. I, I, Coincidentally, I had in my year off in between uh, Netaporte and uh, Farfetch, I had consulted for a conversational commerce company in San Francisco called Operator. And so that whole sort of nascent approach to selling through direct messaging. Um, and uh, at the same time, Farfetch had identified that this was a real opportunity for our VIPs, but it just wasn't something that we could do ourselves. So we um, engaged a number of startups to pitch um, to us, and one of them won. Um, the pitch and started to build on the back of our platform, um, integrated through our API, and we're at the point actually where um, we're um, looking at um, bringing them full time into our business oh, wow. because the product market fit was there. We've seen unbelievable response and sales. Um, our customer loves the service, um, and so that's one very clear example. And we couldn't have done it if we had to do it all ourselves. What was the name of that company? So it doesn't. We don't really brand it externally. Oh. No, we just use it. Oh, so it was a, a bunch tool. of different people who pitched to you, and then they. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So tell me more about this, because this is this is new to my ears. So. It's where direct messaging to? So conversational commerce. Conver yeah, this is yeah. new to me, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's been a lot of talk of conversational commerce, um, you know, chatbots and Oh, chatbots, okay. But okay, actually okay. that's I like probably, conversational commerce better, but Isn't okay. that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But chatbots is probably not the right solution for yeah. what we're doing because yeah. chatbots don't often get 
get it right and actually people don't want to chat to a bot no they, they want do not. to chat to a human so you can use the bot technology but on the back end to mm-hmm. sort of um, you know uh, um, get the message to the right place or but actually people want to talk to a real human mm-hmm. and the opportunity there is huge because people I mean in China people are already shopping that way they shop on WeChat so it's almost uh, taking that behavior and uh, and seeing how it can be applied elsewhere and, and it's really resonating particularly with the VIP customer mm. they love it so, um, can you walk me through it then so you're talking about it's a real person so is it really a real person uh, yeah no it, it absolutely is so we um, so what we do now I mean we don't we don't offer it as a standalone service we mm-hmm. offer it via our VIP team yeah um, but our VIP team will offer it to um, our, our VIP customers and can say look if, if you want something specific we can source it for you so then they will message and say yes I'm looking for um, a particular uh, Gucci bag it's sorry it's sold out everywhere I can't find it um, that message will be rooted to the team working on um, on that in that area okay. and we have a team of expert sourcers who are able through technology to sort of broadcast the request to our network of boutiques but also uh, a network of boutiques that's not even in our network um, because obviously everyone wants to make a sale yeah. uh, regardless yeah. and uh, they're able to pinpoint and find where that item is, source it, uh, acquire it and send it on to uh, to the customer. That's fantastic. It's, it's sort of a one-to-one service mm-hmm. at scale. But it makes me also think that that also seems to fall in line with this whole concept where you're seeing millennials and and uh, Generation Z that really like this kind of peer-to-peer um, relationship and that's how they're buying now they're not buying you know they're buying an experience or buying a connection they're not buying yeah. because that they want to you know because it's Gucci anymore yeah I think um, I think yeah the concept of sort of traditional pull push commerce mm-hmm. as it were is, is changing the, the fact that a brand can push its message is um, you know I, I mentioned out there that um, inspirations are not linear anymore for Millennials they're getting their inspirations everywhere and so they've got a much more specific Specific intent often and so that conversational commerce fits because they've been inspired to buy something particular they want something quite unique and that's where um, this one-to-one service can really help um, so I think it's it's a lot of elements fitting together and we gave it a go and um, the product market fit I guess as you call it um, really paid off that's fantastic yeah. I'm gonna be interested to watch how that develops yeah oh so I guess this is my final question what do you do when you unhook from all of this tech and social and put your phone down, what is your secret pleasure, the thing that you do to unwind and disconnect from all of this? Um, I think travel and food. Mm. I, um, I have always had the travel bug. I think I grew up in so many countries and I moved around a lot and for me just even the planning of a trip, the thought of a trip, I always need to have some trip in mind and when I come back I have to have another one to keep me going. So I think I think um, travel and I travel with the we travel with the little ones everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. I guess I used to have more time to follow. I lived in New York for 10 years and there's a sort of real food culture there. I used to follow where chefs were going here and there and go to restaurants. Not anymore. No time for that now. Um, and then um, and then I guess, you know, you make your choices and uh, the hours in the day are finite and uh, family is just is, is, is at the center of everything. Well, we are on the same um, 
wavelength on that one. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much for speaking to oh, me. Really thanks, appreciate Jessica. it. It's really been a pleasure getting um, to know you and getting to learn all about Parfish. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this. No, my I've pleasure. Appreciated it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank bye you. Bye. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Fashion Your Seatbelt is made possible thanks to the wonderful people at Launchmetrics, the software company that is powering the fashion industry, and GPS Radar, the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect in style. I am a member of GPS Radar, and I can tell you, as a journalist, it has made my work life run much more smoothly. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.